Hello, and welcome to the Dance Teacher Toolbox. I'm your host, Brenda Bobby, and here you'll find all things dance. So whether you're a dancer, a dance educator, studio owner, or just a lover of movement, I'm here to help you find the tips, tricks, and tools you need to be a success. Today's guest is a dancer, singer, and health and fitness coach. She started her professional dance career as a Nick City dancer and later went on to produce her own rock and roll cabaret company, The Candy Janes. She has taught extensively across the USA in private studios as well as the public education system and for many non-for-profit organizations. She is currently the program director of Celebrate the Beat, which is a nonprofit program that serves at-risk youth in Colorado. She is also the CEO of her own heart and hustle business, which is done online. I've asked her here today to talk about creating different revenue streams while growing your program, which I think is a very relevant topic for where we are in our nation and world today. So I'm very excited for her to share her insight and inspiration with you. Please welcome to the Dance Teacher Toolbox, Chris Ashley. How are you? Are you surviving? Yeah, I know. Isn't it wild? Yes, I'm thriving. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because, I mean, we've been connected. I think I started, you reached out to me about when you started your side business in like 2014. And I kind of been in and out. Um, You know, I I did join your team for a little bit, but um, even just like 30 minutes ago, I just did a bar blend exercise because I'm homebound. and. It's really funny because one of the moms of one of my private students was like, I've got to get back into my Beachbody videos from my days. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm not affiliated with them, but I always have been keeping up with the on demand. It's only a hundred bucks for the whole year. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'll have to look into it. And then yesterday she posted something about she did her morning meltdown or twice or something. So she must've went on and got the on demand with her thing. I don't know if she's still in the coaching business, but maybe she still has access or whatever. But I just thought it was funny that, you know, there was a lot of people that are still, you know, kind of in it. So let me get started with your journey for you were a dancer. You grew up dancing in Rochester. I know you and I grew up there and we have a lot of connections and colleagues from back home but give me a little bit for those that you know don't know you or you know if you were meeting someone how you would describe your dance journey since this is really a dance teachers and educators podcast okay sure yeah i started dancing pretty much at the age of 10 besides like a few of the younger classes when i was a teeny tot my best friend got me started into dancing and i fell in love with it right away and i would say a about my second or third year, I got into competition dance and I loved that aspect of it. I loved, you know, the challenge that came with that and the dedication that came with that and started with jazz. And then I added, I think jazz and ballet, and then it was jazz, ballet, tap, and then it was jazz, ballet, tap, hip hop, lyrical. So I kind of went through that progression from, you know, middle school to high school. And jazz seems like it was kind of your thing. Was that your favorite style of dance? Growing up, yeah. Before I kind of got into musical theater. Okay. And and that was in high school? Did you do any of the high school shows? Or what sparked your interest in that? Yeah. Actually, believe it or not, it was my older brother who introduced me when I was getting into high school. He said, you should look at the cheerleading team. 
because I'd never done any cheerleading growing up and it didn't really seem like it was actually my personality or fit at the time. Mm-hmm. But in our high school, we were more of a cheerleading dance team. We competed in, in cheer dance. Uh-huh. And so I tried out as a freshman and made the varsity team and, and it became a love of mine. And he also encouraged me and the same people that were in the cheerleading environment were in our musical theater shows. And so I mean, since we were allowed to, I think in fourth or fifth grade, I'd been doing the plays or musicals, but we happened to have a really high quality program in our high school. And so I fell in love with the musical theater program and did all the shows and cheerleading and that basically my afternoons were bouncing between cheerleading to dance class to musical theater rehearsal. That was my motivation to go to school every day. (laughs) I know that scenario. So once you completed high school, did you pursue dance at a collegiate level or what, what was your passion? Like what was your dream job when you finished high school as a dancer? I know, you know, some people have dreams of moving to LA or New York and some go more of the conventional college route. So mine was a little bit of both. I remember very distinctly and saying that I did not, I had no interest in going to college unless I could dance. And so at the time we didn't have as many resources because dancing wasn't so public, you know? Um, right. And, and we didn't have the, I know for me, I didn't have the internet and, you know, right. all of the opportunities that we have now digitally to find out about programs and opportunities. Exactly. And my mom wasn't well versed in it. So we talk about it often, how we just did not have the resources that, you know, students do today. And uh, yeah, I just remember telling her I'm not going unless I can go for dance. (laughs) And it's the only thing I wanted to do. And so I did audition at a few different schools. Gosh, if I can remember, I know I ended up going to University of Buffalo. I think Mm -hmm. I auditioned at Point Park and a couple other schools that I specifically remember auditioning at. Um, I went to the University of Buffalo. It was a SUNY school. They had a great musical theater program. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't very long into my freshman year where I quit dance. Oh, wow. (laughs) And wasn't interested in studying dance and just wanted to go straight to New York. Um, You know, as I look back at that time, it was ignorance. It was just thinking that, you know, if I wanted a dance career, um, it's such a young career and such, you know, a quick career that I felt like I needed to get to New York at the age of 19. Right. Um, Had I known at the time that most of the Broadway performers were in their 30s, it might have been different. But I always just felt like, you know, we were always told your career is so short, especially in athletics and dance. Right. Right. Yeah. At at 25, you were considered like a veteran. I remember when I was young. Yeah. Exactly. And I just, uh, yeah, I just wasn't, it just wasn't where I wanted to be at that time. So I did finish my second semester academically, did really well, and then moved to New York at 19. Oh, wow. And did you, you just packed up and moved there by yourself? you know, with no friends or any plan, you just said, okay, I'm going to go to New York and give this a shot. That is exactly what it was, which is really kind of crazy now, but I never thought twice about it then. I had really never been to New York except one, I think three day trip senior year for our music program. Uh Um, I didn't know anybody in New York. I didn't have any family or friends or have, you know, a plan per se, except that I would go to Broadway dance center Mm -hmm. and get a job. And that's exactly what I did. That's awesome. So So how long were you there before you landed your first quote unquote job as a dancer in New York? 
about six months. Oh, wow. That's pretty quickly. Super fortunate. Yeah. yeah. And what was yeah, your we, first gig? Nick City Dancer. Oh, wow. So that was like pretty spectacular first job for someone who had like a cheerleading dance background. I would imagine you probably felt like you hit, you know, the jackpot. <laughs> yes. And it wasn't necessarily like the second I auditioned, I got the job. It was one of those rigorous auditions where, you know, there were 500 girls at the audition and it was one of those experiences. But yeah, I just remember as the audition experience, because I'd like to, to, to share this with students that are auditioning and, you know, to have that persistence and that um, sort of dedication to the process. So I remember that the initial, you know, combination to go across the floor was sort of the first big cut of, from 500 girls and they would cut it 50% pretty much just by seeing your technique across the floor, you know, step, bop, ma, step, step, double pirouette, run, run, jet, hey, you know? Uh, very, very and, standard classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like have that technique. If you've got that technique, we'll teach you a combination. And I got cut from that. And I was like, I am not taking that as the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I I was like, no, I am following my heart and my gut here. And I, you know, went into the other line because there was two people, you know, the director and the captain at the Mm -hmm. time that were making cuts and so I went from the captain to the director's line and went through again and she kept me oh wow Um, yeah and then I went through the process of combination and was captain combination and was captain then it you know went home and we had to go put on our full hair and makeup and lashes and a cute outfit and come back and perform the combination and that was the final cuts where I did get cut And then it was about a week later, I got a phone call for, I think there was like four spots that opened up for girls that couldn't take the position. And so then they called the final, there was like maybe 20 of us that were called back for like a second audition. And that was where I got kept. So it is definitely of like, you know, going through that rigorous audition process and never giving up and doing the best and, you know, never giving up that hope. And so, yeah, I was super blessed to get that job by like, the hair of my chinny chin chin. <laughs> you know. And how long did you stay with them? Did, did you have to re-audition every season or was it more of once you made it onto the team that you were there indefinitely until you decided you didn't want to be there anymore? What was the process with their contract and their program? Yeah, every year it got more and more rigorous as it still does today. Mm-hmm. I would say, and what I tell a lot of people is my talent back then would not get me on the team today. Today. I know. Isn't that so bizarre how much more skilled and Mm -hmm. refined dancers are in in this day and age? I guess it goes back to the resources they have available to them. It's become so much more commercialized and students have grown up with so many more resources. And so, yeah, it it was an audition every year to get back on the team. Then it became um, a different group of judges that would score you to make sure that you match the score of the new girls that were coming in and you were staying at the caliber. And it also became a part of, you know, how did that year go in your end of the year sort of consultation with the director and captain to decide if you were still the right fit for the team based on, you know, attitude and team participation and everything and growth. And uh, I did it for three seasons. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, so I did, uh, I think it was 2000 to 2002, and in between there, I also danced with the WNBA 
And then I took two years off and went back and auditioned for a third year in 05, 06, where I also got to choreograph for them, which was awesome. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) What was that like going back after taking some time off and maybe being more of the, you know, older team member to these new younger members that are, you know, fresh out of high school or college? How did, how did you handle that? How were you treated, I guess, by the teammates? Not treated like a veteran per se. Okay. It was definitely in those two years, there was a change of directorship. It became more rigorous, more cutthroat, more commercialized. So there was definitely a shift as it continues to, mm-hmm. to shift and evolve with the times. So it was just as hard. It was just as rigorous. The routines were harder. The expectations were higher. So... But I was super grateful for the opportunity to, you know, put on my choreographer's hat for the first time and have professional choreography experience in my belt. That's great. And so as a Knicks dancer, I mean, living in New York City, I know because I live there, is super expensive. Was the salary that you got as a Knicks dancer enough to afford city living in New York? Or did you have to work other jobs to make ends meet? Did you even have time to have another right. job? Um, what, how did you make it work as a 19, 20, even 23-year-old in New York as a professional dancer? Yeah, so I was super blessed to be able to make that work. It's very part-time. We would always say at that time, at least, I can't say for now, but we were the highest paid dancers in the NBA at that time. Still not a full-time salary by any means. We did not have health insurance or anything like that, but it was enough to just sort of paycheck to paycheck, pay the bills, okay. not having another job so that I could just have this professional experience and continue to train and take classes. A lot, I would say most of the other girls and women on the team were either going to school and dancing or working a nine to five and dancing. I see. And then after that year of when you went back and choreographed and was part of the team, did you decide to leave after that year and do something else? Or were you still auditioning? How did you transition out of like this Nick City dancer role into, you know, your next, you know, job or, you know, creative outlet? Yeah, so after that first break, I connected with a dance studio in New Jersey, which was actually um, one of the girls on the team had a sister had a studio. So I went out and I started teaching right away. And Mm. that was then my ability to continue to shine out to myself in New York. I was super blessed that I never became that full-time waitress. I was able to pay my bills with dance, both dancing professionally and then at that point teaching. teaching. So I was, I was super blessed in that area. So I would, I was teaching probably about 15 hours a week of mostly competition classes. Mm -hmm. And then it was through that teaching job, another teacher at the studio that was working more of a corporate end job for a child enrichment center, which was arts for children, got me a corporate job. (laughs) So then I was working corporately during the day. But still in the dance industry. Writing, exactly. Mm -hmm. I was hired as a dance instructor and um, teaching dance to ages three to eight Mm -hmm. and writing dance curriculum for them, being able to do research. I was working full time, sort of like a nine to five job, except I worked it out with them so that I could get to work at 730 and leave at 330 to go teach at the dance studio. 
so again, I was, I was doing really well then financially because I had a corporate financial job for dance. And that allowed you to have benefits, I would imagine, when you're in the corporate. Yes. So that was the first job I had benefits with. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And so how long did you stay in New York? Because I know we connected when you came back upstate after your you know transition out of New York back to upstate. Yeah. So what brought you back to the upstate region when you were you know flourishing in New York so well and you know living yeah. out the dream job? Um, what brought you back to upstate and you know what what were you doing at that time? Because I know we met yeah. when you were starting a new business, but you had some other things going on that were dance related. And at the time, I owned a studio, so I was really just focused on that. And I was curious about what you were doing in your other avenues, but I just didn't really have the time or energy with my four kids and and running a studio to really like listen and and hear what you were doing. I know that you had a program that you developed. You had a a traveling show that you developed. Um, Was all that started when you were in New York or did it come? Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. Because I remember you talking a little bit about this like cabaret Christmas show thing you had. And at the time, I didn't really understand or invest much in finding out about it. But in hindsight, I think it's something that's really interesting. And I have a bunch of friends that are in burlesque and different cabaret style shows. So tell me a little bit about that and how you transitioned from like almost a cheerleader commercial dancer slash teacher to more of that cabaret burlesque type um, venue. Yeah. So after working with the Enrichment Center for about two and a half years, I got the itch to want to dance and perform again. Mm, Okay. So I'm super blessed. The CEO of the company actually saw and felt that and so he encouraged me like he actually paid for me to go to Chicago to audition for So You Think You Can Dance he was like if this is something you really feel you need to do I'm going to support you to go do it like get it out of your system you'll realize that you want to come back here (laughs) uh, (laughs) little did he know that was not what's going to happen (laughs) right so I got the itch to go back and went back into dancing and then that was when I took more of the avenue of going the other route of um, cabaret, I ended up getting a job where it was a cabaret show and they hired me as the dance director and choreographer. So I cultivated this entire cabaret show for them. And then that ended up ending. And I want to say it might've actually been around that financial hit. If my timing is right, it could have been around 2008 and sort of the financial hit, they had to end that show. Mm. And a girlfriend of mine and back in New York were like, well, hey, this is a really great thing. Why don't we build our own company here in New York? And that's when we built Kent Jane's, which was our all-female comedy cabaret burlesque show. And, and it was can, it was called Candy Jane's, was it? I remember, but it, was yeah. it at the holiday season or was I just associating candy so, canes? Right. and? <laughs> Right, which is which is totally normal. It wasn't when we created the name. Okay. Yeah, we. I mean, we went through a lot of names. It wasn't necessarily at that time, but it. We started. I want to say in September. Yeah, maybe September. And we produced some different shows, and then it went into the holidays. So yes, then we had a holiday show as well. I see. And, I think that's uh, what I remember. I think when you yeah. you told me about it, it was during that season, and so that was kind of what stuck with me. Was it was more yeah. of like a holiday and we had review. A cute little reindeer burlesque costume. So you maybe yes, I remember that specifically because yeah. I was like, oh, that's really yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah, and so it was a lot of fun, and and that was me getting on the other side of sort of that auditioner's table. 
and able to start my own company and audition girls. And it was really great. I had from that corporate job, I had savings lined up so that I was able to financially, you know, fund that program pretty much on my own. Pay girls to perform and get costuming together, produce a show. We were on the streets hustling for performance venues and opportunities and marketing. We were like doing it all. And it was wild to look back today on that time and everything we would do in a specific day to like run our own company. It was like grind, hustle, work, you know. I know. I look back and I'm like, I'm exhausted and I do half of what I used to do. I don't understand how I even like functioned, but I guess you just do what you got to (laughs) do. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, financially it did get straining and we were trying to figure out, you know, how can we make better contacts to move this into something bigger because we wanted to move it into Atlantic City or Las Vegas because, you know, we don't think small. Right. And (laughs) so what I, we looked into auditioning, there was a show in Atlantic City, um, which ended up being my last contract before I moved to Rochester. And that was called the Almost Angels in which we were like a pussycat doll type show. Mm-hmm. There were six of us and we were singing and dancing and performing and it was super fun. And I auditioned for that. I said, let me get in on that, get that experience, make some connections while I'm there. And that would eventually kind of be able to be a good transition for our company. And then I did that for a year and that was exhausting work four nights a week, you know, from 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m. for shows and then having to sort of get back on normal time for the three days when I was back in New York to audition. But it paid my rent, you know. So it was wonderful, but then I was done. I just got to a point in my career where I was performing on a stage in Atlantic City for drunk people. <laughs> and I'm in, you know, booty shorts, fishnets, high heels, and, you know, bra tops. And it was awesome. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. But it just got to a point where in my professional career, I thought, what is, what am I doing here? You know, it just felt like it was more selfish for me to be doing this because it feels good to perform. And I love the endorphins and I love this energy, but really what am I doing to give back? Right. It didn't feel, I couldn't justify anymore that sort of transition in my life of, I want to be able to give back. And as much as I feel like I'm giving these people relief at the end of their night, it wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it certainly wasn't I, necessarily the healthiest way either. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And so, which is right where I am now. So yeah, I came back to Rochester and when I met with you, I had got a job running Rochester Association of Performing Arts at the time and helping to rebuild their nonprofit art school and art center and theater. And that took on a full-time position. And I think I met you because when we connected, I reached out to you um, because I loved the work that you were doing in the studio and the professionalism that you were running your studio at in the caliber, which I really respected. And just as I was coming back to see what was going on in our community and where I could, again, be of service and connect with. And I think you had so much going on. You handed me a job to go choreograph <laughs> for the like Miss New York pageant. Yes. Yeah. Like so I was always our, getting, yeah. you know, inquiries. Could you do this? Could you do that? And so anytime I could find someone that I could unload and help out, I was gladly to pass it along. So I do remember that. And I think also once um, you got established in Rochester with that um, wrap up program, there was a time where you needed space and we connected and I, you, you did some of your rehearsals at my studio for your dancers. They were struggling, I think, financially at that point, the, the organization that you were working with. 
Well, they definitely were struggling financially. That seems to be an ongoing presence in our community, with especially with nonprofits and nonprofit theaters. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that that happened, and then that was the time where you were starting to look at a side hustle or another way to earn some extra money because it was just it, it was tough upstate. It wasn't like the opportunities in a large city where there's tons of performing art opportunities. And I remember. You know, you and I talked about that at length, like there's only so much you can do here. And so that's, I think, when you started looking into other things. And I think that was when we started talking about, you know, your fitness programs and things that you were doing that were dance related. Am I right on that? Yeah, it it was close to. So I had actually chosen to leave that job before I got connected to fitness. Mm. And I I honestly just left that job because it was no longer the right fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um. And I ended up finding my job that I have now currently out in the mountains of Colorado. And it was connecting with another Rochester friend who I think, you know, Megan Eggleston. Yeah, she's a rock star. Yeah. Yeah. She was at the gym back then. And that's how her and I connected. And I actually had her teaching classes at at the art center for me. And when I was getting ready to move, she had introduced me the um, online fitness concept. And so it was when I started to actually move out west to Colorado that I had signed up to do that. Wow, Chris, you just have so much to share. I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us a little bit about your experience as a New York City dancer and how you've transitioned into where you are today. And I hope our listeners tune in tomorrow for part two of your interview talking about your CEO business or your side hustle that you started um, kind of parallel to your dance career that kind of fed into the health, fitness, and dance um, area, but took it to another level and another venue, which is that online virtual um, coaching that you do, which seems to be what everyone is doing in these days, at least with the coronavirus. So I hope everyone tunes in tomorrow to hear about how she grew an online business as a side hustle and is able to generate some revenue in these really hard times. Uh, Hope you'll tune in and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dance Teacher Toolbox. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dance Teacher Toolbox. I'm your host, Brenda Bobby, and I aim at bringing you prompt podcasts to improve your productivity and performance in dance because without collaboration, our growth is limited by our own perspectives. Don't miss any of the tools of the trade. Subscribe now to the Dance Teacher Toolbox.